Valley Christian Church, how we doing today? Woo! Thank you to the two or three people that is excited to be in the house of the Lord tonight. Praise God. Also want to make a huge shout out to all of our people on our online campus. Thank you so much for tuning in. So grateful that you are here with us. Guys, we are in a new series called Seven, and Seven is based upon the seven churches that are in the book of Revelation, and I'm super excited to be able to give you the first message from this series tonight, all right? Now, here's the deal. I want to get into the content, but beforehand, I want to ask a question to anybody in this room, and I want you guys to be open and honest with me, okay? Has anybody in here, by show of hands, ever done something crazy out of love? Anybody done something crazy for love? All right, wonderful. You know, love in our culture is so interesting because we use the word love for so many different things. So I could say that I love my family. I could also say that I love, uh, you know, children or certain people that are in my life. But all of that is great. But there's also certain things that we do out of craziness for certain things that we love. For instance, I love food, specifically Chick-fil-A and Chipotle. Do I have a witness in here that enjoys any of these two? All right. They are both delicious. And sometimes because I love them so much, they cause me to do some crazy stuff. Me and my wife were in Connecticut last weekend and we drove past two Chick-fil-A's. So I felt that was God telling me that I needed to eat at Chick-fil-A twice. You could judge me if you want to, but I needed to take advantage of this opportunity. And we have a Chipotle actually opening up in our area pretty soon. I've been praying and fasting for that to happen. I'm excited that it is finally around the corner. And please believe when Chipotle opens up, when you see that tent that is camped right outside of the Chipotle, it is me, all right? Feel free to say hello, okay? I have a missions plan for Chipotle. I'm going to be over there praying for people as I get my steak burrito. Y'all think I'm joking, but that's real. But once again, that's just a crazy thing that I do because I just love those types of food. Love can make you do some crazy things. But when we think of crazy things that we do for love, we don't usually think of things like that. We think of things that we've done for someone in our lives, someone that we were infatuated with, someone that we were in love with. And with that being said, I kind of wanted to share about how I first fell in love and what it caused me to do something kind of crazy because I thought I was in love. See, I was back in high school. I was a senior in high school. And back in high school, I was the man. I had my own like custom school fleece. It was a private school. So I wasn't that cool, but still just bear with me. I had my own custom school fleece. I had like the peach fuzz mustache going on. Girls were digging it. And this girl transfers into our school midway. And I think this girl is Bomb. So I walk up to the girl. I was like, listen, what's up? You know, my name is Steven. You know, you don't know me, but you want to know me. Listen, I think we should hang out. I think we should get together. You know what I mean? She's like, yeah, I think you're cute. All of that stuff. She was feeling me too. So we started dating. And as we were dating, in my mind, I was like, this is the one. Like, this is going to be Mrs. Francis one day. I am so hyped. I need to find a way where I can show her just how much she means to me, okay? I got to show her that this relationship we got is real. You know, I was sending her Chris Brown songs. Like, I had a MySpace page with both our pictures in it. Like, it was legit, guys. Seriously. So, me and my sister, while we were in high school, 
we, uh, I was still in high school, we were going on this missions trip to Guatemala. Now, by the way, quick segue, please keep me and my wife and some other 20-somethings in prayer. We are very excited. In a couple weeks, we will be going to, going to Guatemala on our missions trip. Very excited about that. But this was my first missions trip, first time in Guatemala. And I went there as a high school student with $100 in spending money. I thought it was loaded. So I get there, and I'm like, all right, I need to find something for this girl to let her know how much she means to me. So, you know, we go to different places, and we make it to the shop, and in this shop is this Guatemalan bracelet. It had, the, it had Guatemalan silver, made out of Guatemalan silver. It had the native bird on it, and if you could turn around the other side, if you were willing to pay, you can get someone's name engraved on the other side. So I thought that this was perfect. One problem, it was $100. So I told myself, you know, this may not work out, but if this is the one, then this is just going to be an investment in our relationship. So, you know, ball out. So I bought her the bracelet, got it engraved and everything, made it back home to Connecticut where my family is from. And I walked up to the girl and I kid you not, these were my words. I walked up to the girl. I was like, baby girl, listen, you know, I want to let you know that you're the one for me and you deserve the finer things in life. And I gave her the bracelet, real smooth, right? <laughs> I found out a little bit later on, not only did she not like the bracelet, but she started dating somebody else while I was on the missions trip. <laughs> Savage, I know. And in that moment, I learned something. You know, I learned not only about what it feels like sometimes, how foolish you can kind of get when it comes to love, but I also learned that there's no bigger heartbreak than when you have a love for somebody and that love is not reciprocated back. Anybody else ever had a feeling like that before where you've been heartbroken in that way? Feel free to be honest. It's church. Thank you for your honesty. The thing about it is I believe that God feels this feeling too sometimes. You know, Scripture says this. God in the beginning created the heavens and the earth, and out of all the things that he made in existence, he also created man and woman, and he created them in his image and in his likeness. And he loved what he made, and he wanted to have a relationship with man and woman, and he decided uh, to create this garden where they could be in, and he can have community with them. And their names were Adam and Eve, the first man and woman, and he had this relationship with them. And he said, listen, I don't want you to do this. If you do this, this will be a sin and will cause a separation between us. And unfortunately, that's exactly what they did. They sinned against God, and there was a separation between God and man from there on out. But God was uncontent with that. He wanted to have a relationship with us. So it says that he loved us so much that he sent his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, who is the son of God and who is God, to die on the cross for our sins so that we might be able to have that relationship back with God. That's the length of how much God loves us. He would allow his own son to die so that we could have this relationship again. Jesus, being God, was so powerful, he rose again on the third day. But everything from there on out is an extension of just God's love to us and how he wants to have a relationship with us. And knowing and understanding that brings a lot of context on what we're going to be learning tonight in the book of Revelation. See, in the book of Revelation chapter 1, we see that there is a man named John. And we believe that John in this book of the Bible is the same John that actually walked with Jesus physically when he was on earth. Now, John is originally from Israel, but we find out that John is living currently on the island of Patmos. This isn't a vacation. It wasn't a stop on his cruise, but he was actually on Patmos because of exile. 
because the Roman Empire said that Christians were weird. They didn't want them around anymore, and they started to persecute them, maybe even kill many of them because of their faith. And this was a punishment for John. So we see this in uh, Revelation 1 verse 9. I, John, am your brother and your partner in suffering and in God's kingdom and in the patient endurance to which Jesus calls us. I was exiled to the island of Patmos for preaching the word of God and for my testimony about Jesus. It was the Lord's day and I was worshiping in the spirit. Suddenly I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet blast. John turns around to see what this voice is and he sees Jesus standing there with seven golden lampstands and also seven stars in his hand. John, rightfully so, freaks out a little bit, but Jesus calms him down. He's like, listen, I want you to send seven messages to seven churches. And that was the reason for the seven lampstands and the seven stars. See, those were symbolic of the church and also the pastors that were at the church. The lampstands are supposed to be a place where God's light can shine bright. They were supposed to be a place that could hold that light. And that was the symbol of the church. The star was supposed to be the angels. The angels in this context, though, means messengers in the form of a pastor to the pastors of this church, which is why he has these pastors in his hand because they are under his authority. But then he goes on and he says that the first place that I want you to write to is Ephesus. Revelation 2 verse 1. Write this letter to the angel of the church of Ephesus. Again, the angel meaning pastor. This is the message from the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven gold lampstands. Now, real quick, I want to give you guys some understanding of Ephesus because Ephesus is no redneck town. You can actually still visit Ephesus today. It was one of the fourth, it was actually the fourth largest city in the Roman Empire. It was famous for many of its buildings. It had the Celsus Library, which still has ruins that you can see today. It also had, uh, I believe, the, the, one of the seven ancient wonders of the world, which was the Temple of Artemis which at this time was an incredible structure. There was none that could really compare to it. But another thing that I think was extremely impressive was that they had a 24,000 seat theater in Ephesus. To give you context, Madison Square Garden only has a little over 20,000 seats. This place was bigger than the MSG. Keep in mind, it would suck if you had to sit in the nosebleeds all the way up there. Whatever show you came to see, it's over by the time you get to the top. But either way, Ephesus was a major city. And not only was Ephesus a major city, but this church in Ephesus was also major. It was considered the mother of churches because some of the best pastors ever in Christian history, there are people that wrote books of the Bible that were pastors at the church of Ephesus. There are other churches in the Bible that started because of the church of Ephesus. Ephesus, uh, the church of Ephesus was a place where not only did Christians go, but even people that weren't Christians had a respect for so it's curious to know what Jesus would have to say about such a great church in such a great city. We go on and to see Jesus saying this, that I know all the things you do talking to Ephesus. 
I have seen your hard work and your patient endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people. You have examined the claims of those who say they are apostles but are not. You have discovered they are liars. You have patiently suffered for me without quitting. In this first part, Jesus is saying, listen, you guys are working hard. You're not only proclaiming my name, but you are also being sure that the people in my church can be protected. Can I be honest with you guys? You know, many times a lot of people just think when it comes to church that, you know, we just work Sundays and Thursday nights. But in actuality, we're here throughout the week, not only planning for this event, but also being sure that you have the best experience when you're here. As a pastor, I can tell you there have been times where I had to talk to certain guys that were stalking single women that were coming to the church. I had to talk to different people that were coming to church, not really to get anything out of God, but to find people in the church that they can recruit for their own business or even convert to their own religion. That's a true story. That's a fact. There's even people sometimes where they just come and though they want to take the charity of the people, and yes, we're generous people we love, but they're more trying to manipulate people to get money out of them. And that's something that you have to do as a good church to be able that not only do people come, but you also keep the wolves out. And this is something that the church of Ephesus is known for. But there's a problem. Because in Revelation 2 verse 4, Jesus says this. But I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. And this comes off as weird when you first read it. I can imagine myself being like the pastor at Ephesus or the church at Ephesus and being like, Jesus, I don't understand what you're talking about. We do all of this for you. How could we not love you if we're doing all of this hard work? I don't get what it is. And as weird as it comes off at first, I think a lot of us are actually kind of familiar with this in our own lives in some degree. Because many of us know what it's like to fall in love. Many of us know what it's like to be in a relationship with somebody that we think is special. And many of us also know what it's like to be heartbroken and to have that relationship end. But many of us also know what it's like when Things just become normal in the relationship, predictable in the relationship. And it's not necessarily like you're over the person, like you want to break up, but you also are no longer as invested in getting to know that person because in a sense, you may feel like you already know them. Like everything is fine and predictable and you start to no longer do things out of love, but just do things knowing that that's what you're supposed to do to keep the relationship going. See, the church of Ephesus in this moment is showing that the church is a place that is dealing with endurance when it comes to God. And don't get me wrong, I believe endurance is a good thing. A lot of us have to endure. Have you ever had a job before that you could not stand, but you had to endure it because you needed that check? Anybody in here? All right, a few of you, some of you are like, that's the job I'm working right now. Pray for me. The hardest job I've ever had in my life. And I'm going to just be honest with you guys, this is church. It was when I was in college, I was so broke, I needed to find something. So I started working at an inner city daycare. Now listen, I know children are a gift from the Lord. <laughs> but there are just some kids. You know what I mean? I'm not talking about anybody's kids in here, but we all know about those kids that are just a little bit hard to handle. And I got to give a shout out to any daycare, any babysitter, any teacher in this room, because I believe one of the hardest jobs in the world is taking care of someone else's kids. All right. And bringing them back alive. 
And don't get me wrong, I have to say this as well. A lot of the kids that I worked with, they had a lot of challenges. They had hard upbringings, and you had to be patient with that. I just didn't have that gift to be able to work with it, so it made it difficult for me. Yet at the same time, in my mind, I was like, listen, this may be tough, but I ain't trying to be broke anymore. If I eat ramen noodles one more time, I'm going to flip out, so I will be here and deal with some of these kids. Which, by the way, even as a college student, you have to endure. Even as a student, you got, you got to endure. There's some kids in here right now, you just finished school, you just graduated, maybe high school, college, congratulations to you. And everybody here that has been in school knows that you have to endure school. Nobody enjoys hard work. Truth be told, I was naive enough to think that when I got to college, it was going to be just like how it was in movies and TV, where they're just having fun and doing what they want. All of those kids failed out. I am convinced that that is not reality. College is difficult. You have to work hard if you want to be successful. But still we endure because we know that that's what we have to do in order to succeed. And endurance is great when you're trying to pass school. Endurance is great when you're trying to get the money you need for that, from that job. But endurance in a relationship doesn't translate well. And in all actuality, endurance many times is a quality of duty, and that means that we have the ability of knowing that we have a moral or legal obligation of responsibility. But when you have a relationship and you're doing things out of duty, many times you're just doing things and there's no heart in it. And Jesus is saying, you're doing a great job, but you're doing things out of duty, and I need you to do things out of devotion. Meaning that there is a love that you have for me and whatever that you're doing in the church is an overflow of that love and that care that you have, not only for me, but the people that are around you. And I believe that this is why Jesus is upset. Because Jesus did not die on the cross to build church organizations. Jesus died on the cross so that we can have a relationship with him. And in this moment, Jesus is saying, you guys have gotten the cart before the horse. You're doing a lot of great stuff, but you don't really talk to me as much as you used to. We don't have that closeness like we used to. And that's the problem. And the question that I have, and I have to say this as well, you know, I understand why Jesus is upset, but we also understand that this is normal, right? The longer you're in the faith, Ephesus was around at this time for about 30 years. They had been Christians for 30 years. And maybe there's people in here, you've been a Christian for 30 years. Maybe you grew up in church. Maybe you know how everything works within the church intricacies and, and walking with Christ. And it's not necessarily that you're cold per se, but it's more of just like things are just so familiar that it makes it hard for you to discover something that brings that fire back. But I see that so many times that many of us end up older in our faith and that just causes us to grow colder towards God. And the question is that I have is that if Jesus can say this about a church that was doing so well in such an incredible culture, what might he be saying to us? What might he be saying to you? Because we are not exempt. Could we be people that have allowed our faith to get so old that it's gone cold? And we all know that once again, you get familiar with things that's just a part of life, that's a part of relationships. But we also know that the best relationships are the ones that fight through that. I believe there are three ways that we could also see if you have this issue in your life, symptoms of growing cold. The first is you just become complacent. Growing complacent is likely in any relationship, like I've said before, but 
what I believe complacency is as far as our relationship with God is it's that place when we start allowing ourselves to say instead of what can I do to make this relationship work to what is this relationship doing for me? And instead of us being contributors, we just become more critical consumers of everything that happens to be God related. You know, sometimes you see a lot of people come in and you can tell that they're new in their faith. They have a passion for Jesus because they show up and they're ready to sing every song. And they're singing like heaven has come to earth. And the the song is just moving in their hearts. It's bringing tears to their eyes and they're giving it all for him. And then the word is going and they're taking so many notes. They're filling up books with just one sermon every single Sunday. And and they're loving it and they're ready to challenge each other and, and to grow in their faith. And they're sharing Jesus with other people. But sometimes it can be disappointing to see all of that fire only to see it further down the line. And it's kind of like they're standing there. And that same person is now kind of like, man, we're singing this song again. Why are they letting him sing it? He can't sing. Oh, man, why do we always talk about this stuff? I want to talk about what I want to talk about. This church ain't deep enough. Listen, when we get out of here, I don't want to talk to anybody. I'll say hi to a few people, but I'm just trying to get out. I need to get home. I got stuff I got to do at the house. You don't want no problem. Want no problem with me. Get out my way. I need to get to church. I need to get out of church. The same people that had that fire before because they've grown complacent. And we'll talk about how we combat that later on. But I also think that there's a second way that many of us end up showing symptoms of our faith growing cold, and that's by us becoming casual. See, here's the thing about being casual. Casual happens when you become so familiar with something, you think that it's always going to stay that way. And I believe that sometimes our casualness can cause casualties in our life. Because truth be told, there's a lot of people that are way too casual about texting and driving because they think they know what they're doing every time. There's some people that are way too casual about some of the physical relationships that they have with people because they believe that there will be nothing wrong, that everything will work out. When I think of being too casual, I think of my relationship with my dad. My dad is considered one of the coolest, chill people you will ever meet. My dad comes in the room. He says a couple Jamaican words, and then he sits down, and then he doesn't talk for hours. He's not mad. He's just chilling. Like, he's he's doing his thing. And I remember my friends would always be like, yo, man, your dad's so cool. Like, he just show up with his swagger, and then that's it. And I was like, yeah, man, that's my dad. That's all I know. But the thing about my dad was that I treated our relationship so casually growing up thinking that, you know, dad is always there. Dad's always going to be there. I don't have to worry about things. So there were so many times when my dad would try to talk to me and I would just try to shoo him away because I didn't want to be bothered. There were times when my dad would want to engage with me somewhere and I was like, "Mm, I'm good. You know what? I'll, I'll take myself. I'll worry about it myself. There were times when my dad was just sitting in the house and I was sitting in the house and it would just be both of us all alone in the house and I would still never get up just to see what he was doing. And I just thought, that's just dad. He's always there. Why worry about it? 2013, while I was in college, it was a Sunday. I was taking a nap, and I got several phone calls from my mom. And I pick up the phone annoyed because 
I'm supposed to be trying to take a nap right now. And she told me that my father was in the hospital. That something had happened to his heart and that he was going to need open heart surgery. And I felt so lost in that moment. Because here I am hundreds of miles away from where my parents are. And my father may pass away and I may never know who he is. I got home for the holidays and my father made it through the first surgery. Praise God, we were grateful. And I tried to get to know my dad, but still I was kind of like, nah, it's fine. He made it through, it's gonna be okay. And then the day after Thanksgiving in 2013, I woke up to the voice of my mother screaming in the other room, only to find out that my dad was having another heart attack two weeks after his first open heart surgery. We got an ambulance, we drove to the hospital, and the doctor told us, listen, this isn't good, his aorta has torn, there's blood everywhere. We're gonna do surgery, but to let you know, this is not gonna be safe. We already have to reopen the wound that he was in. We're not sure how he's gonna make it. And I'll be honest, guys, I did not sleep that night. I was in the chapel at the hospital and I cried and cried and prayed and prayed because I was realizing that my father is gonna go and I never took the time to get to know who he was. I never took the time to value him. I was so casual about my relationship with dad because I thought he was always there and I may lose it, lose him. My father made it through the second surgery. Praise God, he's alive today, he's doing well, his heart's strong. But I told myself from there on out, I will forever be sure that that man knows that his son loves him. And I make sure I call him every chance that I get. I bless him every chance that I get because I want him to know, Dad, I love you so much. You mean so much to me. Tell me about your life. Tell me how you're doing. Help me with my life. Help me to figure out these things that's going on with me. I need you in my life, Dad. And what bothers me so much is not that I'm doing all of these things now, but that it took that to make that happen. And what bothers me is that we have a great father, a father of the universe, the king of the universe that is willing to love on us, that is willing to be close to us and draw to us. But many of us are just so casual with God, thinking that God is always going to be there. We don't have to worry about it. I'm not going to pray to him today. I'm not going to read my Bible today. He will be there tomorrow. It's fine. God will be there. And we show up sometimes to church and we barely sometimes sing or get involved and we just think it's fine, it's church, it's cool, I'll be here next week. But there is so much more to God that we can encounter. There's so much more to God that he wants us to know about himself. But many times we just get so casual. There's a third way moving forward that I think a lot of us end up showing that we've compromised that we've gone cold, and that's through compromise. Compromise is when you just make it to the point where it's like, listen, God is great. I love him. But at the same time, I'm just kind of, I'm going to do my own thing. You know, God is great, 
but I really like this relationship too. And I know this person that I'm with doesn't really love God as much as they should, but it's fine. God understands. It's cool. Listen, I know I got this job and maybe I should be petitioning to be sure that I'm involved in, in the church. Maybe I should be petitioning to be sure that my spiritual life is not affected by it, but it's fine. God knows my heart. I'll just keep doing what I'm doing. Compromise is when you end up cheating on God, thinking that it's a mutual understanding. And how many times do we do that in our own lives, convincing ourselves that God is completely fine when God is saying, no, 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 I want all of you. I want your whole heart. I want to walk with you in your life. I can't stand here and also with that at the same time. There is only room for one. And the question that we have to ask ourselves, if, if that's any of us in any of those situations, what do we do? How do we turn back from that? Jesus gives insight to that in the book of Revelation. In Revelation 2, verse 5, he says this, look how far you have fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. If you don't repent, I will come and I will remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. Now, that's a really strong statement from Jesus. We don't usually like him to talk like that. We love our Jesus sometimes so loving that he can be passive. Yet at the same time, in this moment, Jesus is saying, listen, I love you so much, but if you're going to keep going on the slope that you're going, I'm not going to put up a facade that we're in good terms. I've blessed this church to be uh, influential in such an incredible city, but I'm not going to allow you to keep making up stuff and you're not actually in a relationship with me. So instead, he says, listen, I want you guys to repent and return. That's what Christ calls us to do if we're in that situation. Repent is a very biblical word. Many of us don't really understand what that means. We don't use that in the day-to-day. -day. Repent is basically a deeper form of an apology. A usual apology is when you say, uh, listen, I'm sorry for what I did, but in a sense, it's more like I'm going to continue doing what I'm doing without offending you. I'm going to move around that and be sure I do not offend you again where, as I continue what I'm doing. Repenting is when you offend somebody, you say, listen, I'm sorry, and not only am I sorry, but I'm going to go a completely different direction. I no longer want to go that route again. And that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, listen, whatever route that you're going on, I need you to turn around and make the journey back to me. And maybe you're someone in this room right now where you feel like, listen, I want to come back. I, I've been in the faith for a long time, and I admit things have gone cold, but I don't really know what to do, how to get back, how to get that relationship with Jesus that I used to have. I want to be completely honest with you guys. I was in the exact same situation not too long ago. And I had to find my way to get back to the Lord because I refuse to be a cold pastor. I refuse to be up here and tell you to shout for Jesus and get excited if my soul is not also bearing witness to that. And there were four things that happened during my journey back to Jesus that I want to share with you that I believe can greatly change the way that you guys reignite your relationship with Jesus. This may not be in your Valley app notes if you're following along with this, so you got to write this down on your own. But the first thing that I did was something called First 15. First 15 is where I took the first 
15 minutes of my day, whatever was going on in my schedule, I just took 15 minutes and I made sure that I prayed and I read something in God's word and that was it. And it was my way and I went past 15 minutes many times and now I go sometimes almost an hour. But for anybody in here that's not doing any of it right now, I'm only asking to commit to 15 minutes. That's it. And I wanted to share this with you. And this is a little personal, but I felt it was still so important. In January, I decided to do this. And what I did was I read one chapter from the book of John in the Bible. And I wrote down one thing about Jesus that I appreciated from that chapter. Something that stuck to me, something that was interesting. And then I prayed on that thing. Here's some of the things that I wrote within that time. I won't go through all of it. It was many days, but the first one was this. God is my shepherd. I lack nothing. Meaning if there is anything in my life that I feel like I'm lacking, I don't need it because God is my provider. If I needed it, he would have given it to me. I have him, so he must be all that I need in order to make it through my situation. I can trust him in that. Second is God is not a recluse. He is not hiding from me. Sometimes I, I, it feels like God is up in heaven looking down at our situation saying, oh, poor such and such. But scripture tells me that the spirit of the Lord is with me. He guides me. He's by my side. He's got my back. Wherever situation and circumstance I am, he is with me everywhere that I go. That Jesus loves me regardless of any circumstance. It doesn't matter what my race is. It doesn't matter what I've done in my past. It doesn't matter how much Bible I know. He doesn't love me any less. He can't love me anymore. He loves me as infinite as infinite is. And I can walk in that. The fourth thing that I'll share is that I learned that Jesus is not always easy to understand but I can trust his motive. There are times when I see Jesus do things in scripture, I was like, Jesus, why would you do that? But nevertheless, I can always see that anything that Jesus did, there was always a sense of people coming back saying that Jesus Christ is Lord. And that's the same thing in my life. I don't know why he always does the things that he does, why I'm always in certain places that I'm in, but I'm trusting that his glory will be revealed. And that comes from the first 15. The second thing that I do is weekly worship. And what I mean by weekly worship, I mean by weekly worship music. Can I be real with y'all real quick? I believe that music is powerful. I grew up in a home that loved music. Now, I really can't sing, but I used to love going into my parents' room, and they would be listening to Earth, Wind, and Fire. Anybody in here know the song September? Do you remember when it was like September? Love was changing the clouds of pretenders while we're chasing the clouds away. Anybody? Any? No, nobody. Nobody. I had, one per I had one person in the back. Lord, I had a blessing to your life. They listened to Michael Jackson, too. If y'all know this song, help me out. Y'all know I ain't on the choir now. Y'all know I ain't on the worship team. One of my parents' favorite songs was Man in the Mirror. I'm starting with the man in the mirror. I'm asking him to change his ways. No message could get any clearer. What's the rest? 
What? <laughs> if you want to make the world a better place, take a look at yourself and make a change. Yeah. We're not done. We're, I'm committed to this now. I'm putting this down. That was my parents' room, right? I will walk into my sister's room. I have two older sisters. My sisters, they love that music, but they were also super big into rap music. And I remember as an early child listening to Biggie Smalls. It was all a dream. I used to read Word Up magazine. Saw him pepper and heavy D up in the limousine. Hanging pictures on my wall. Every state of the day, rap attack, Mr. Magic Molly Mall. I get to take top till it take top. I don't know what he said at that part. <laughs> but that was my jam. I was way too young for that, but that was my jam. My parents didn't want us listening to that, though. I will be honest. My parents, they were like, listen, I don't want you listening to Biggie. If you want to listen to any rapper, you can listen to Will Smith, okay? He seems super toned down. So at the age of seven, I was walking around in West Philadelphia, born and raised. On the playground was where I spent most of my days. Chilling out, maxing, relaxing out, cool, and I'm shooting some b-ball outside of the school. When a couple of guys, they were up to no good. Started making trouble in my neighborhood. I got a one little fight and my mom got scared. And what else? Give yourselves a round of applause for some participation. I got you on the last one at least. I loved music growing up. I still love music now. But here's the thing, man. There is no powerful, more powerful source of music than worship music. And I believe that that is true because many times worship music is just stuff from the scriptures put in a way that we can make uh, uh, palatable for ourselves. A worship song is a sermon that you can sing to yourself. And how many times in my life did I need to not wait till a Sunday, but in the midst of my situation, I had to tell myself, God, you have no rival. You have no equal. You, yours is now and forever, our God reigns. For yours is the kingdom. Yours is the glory. Now and forever, above all names, what a powerful name it is. What a powerful name it is. The name of Jesus Christ, my King. Sometimes you got to worship for yourself. You can't wait till Thursday. You can't wait till Sunday to sing that. But you, sometimes you need to make space in your morning, make space in your car. Where it's like, God, right now it's me and you, and I need to just sing of your glory and sing of your wonder. And I promise you that it will change the trajectory of how you walk with Jesus. The third thing is fasting. Fasting is the physical practice of giving something up for a spiritual purpose. You know, for many of you in here that might have grown up in the Catholic background, it's basically the equivalent of Lent. It doesn't have to be 40 days or 46 days, but it's the process of saying, you know what, I'm going to take a break from this particular thing for some time so I can focus on God. Many people in here are participated in the Daniel fast, where it's no sweets, red meats, but it's fruits and vegetables, and participating in that. 
is a way where you can just say, God, I'm going to take this certain diet so that I can have enough time to focus on you, to trust in you. And I believe me when I say this, there has never been a time where I decided to fast. And it doesn't have to be food. It could be Netflix if you want. It could be a certain form of entertainment, something that you enjoy. But it's you saying, God, I'm going to take this space in my life that I enjoy and give it to you. And I promise you, every time I've done it, God has always shown up and revealed Himself to me. But the last thing that I do is serve. Here at Valley Christian Church, we strive to be sure that you guys are serving. And it's not something that we want from you. It's something that we want for you. Because there's something powerful when you walk into the house of the Lord and you say, God, I'm hoping I get something today. But I'm also hoping that you give me the ability to give something to somebody else. God, I want you to not just do something in me today. I want you to do something through me today, whether it's the way that I greet somebody at the door, the way that I make coffee for them at the cafe, the way that I interact with the children and teach them Bible lessons, whatever form of serving that you can do. It's our way of saying God is so great that I will put myself to the side and I will serve because that's what he did for me. And in those moments, God always shows himself to be powerful. Many times I think when we come in with just the attitude of like, listen, I just want what, what, whatever it is that they got. I want a new worship song. I want a message that speaks to me, blah, 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 blah. God can't move in that. God doesn't like attitude like that. God likes an attitude where we come in. It's like, Jesus, I don't care what they do today. As long as I'm leaving with you, that's all I want. I will be sure to find you when I am here and I'll be sure to show you to somebody else while they are here. There's power in serving. But what I love, those are the things that I've done. But what I love as I close is that with all of these things that are said, Jesus says this in Revelation 2, 7. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. To everyone who is victorious, I will give fruit from the tree of life in the paradise of God. The reason why this is so significant in this moment is not only is Jesus saying that you can come back to me, but I want us to have that great relationship that I first had with the first man and woman. I want you to be able to live in a paradise with me where we can be close and be able to walk together in life. And that is something that we can all have. That's something that we can all enjoy. But the question that we have to ask is, are we willing to fight for that? Because truth be told, we can't wait till we feel like any of these things to make this work. If I always wait to how I feel uh, in order to love my wife, my relationship would be torn up. Same it goes with God. When we take the effort to say, God, I've been in this faith for so long. I've been walking with you for so long. And I admit things have gone cold because of how just older I've gotten in my faith. And maybe things have just gotten boring. Maybe I've been hurt. Maybe I've been distracted. But God, today in this moment, I'm saying I want the fire that I first had when you came to my life. I want to know the joy that I first experienced when you came into my life. Matter of fact, I want to know a deeper joy, a deeper peace, a deeper love all from you because I know that's what you are willing to offer me. You know, as I close, I want to read for you this passage of scripture that comes from Ephesians 2. See, the Ephesians were so major, they had their own book in the Bible. 
But what I want to do to give you understanding of just how much God loves for you, what God has for each and every one of us, I want to read for you this passage. And instead of me putting the us and the we's and those type of pronouns, I put my own name. And as I read this, and I'm going to read it slowly, but every time you see my name, Stephen, I want you to put your name. Because it's not just true for me, it's true for you. But because of his great love for Stephen, that's where your name goes. God, who is rich in mercy, made Stephen alive with Christ, even when Stephen was dead in transgressions. It is by grace Stephen has been saved. And God raised Stephen up with Christ and seated Stephen with him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to Stephen in Christ Jesus. For it are by grace Stephen has been saved through faith. And this is not from Stephen. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. God and his love. And it may seem crazy did all of that for me and for you and wants to have a relationship where what he's saying here is not words on a page but a reality that you and me experience daily the riches of his grace and mercy the love of knowing Jesus and right now I want to pray would you join me I'm going to pray two prayers I'm going to pray a prayer over any person in here that has been in the faith for quite some time and you know you love God, you know you're happy to be here, but at the same time, you also know things have gone a little cold. And I want to pray that God brings that fire back in your life. The second prayer will be for anybody in here that says, you know what, I don't have a relationship with Jesus, but I'd like one. I want to start today. The second prayer will be for you. But first, God, I pray over each and every one of these wonderful people. I thank you, Lord, for the power that you have in the lives. And Lord, that you loved us so much that you did something that many people would see as unreasonable, that you did what many people would see as unfruitful, yet knowing, Father God, that you would love us so much that it was worth it, you did it anyway. And for anyone in here that has accepted you as their Lord and Savior, but they've allowed for things to just get so casual, to get so cold, to get so normal and predictable, I pray for their hearts today that you would quicken them through the power of your Holy Spirit so that, Lord Jesus, they leave here ignited, ready to get to know the Savior that died on the cross for them so long ago. There's so many things of you to learn. There's so many things of you to experience. There's so many things that you want to walk us through and have you have us trust in you in. And I pray, Lord Jesus, be the day where we get back on that journey, where we no longer pitch our tent, where we no longer think that we've reached the highest height, but that we see that there's so much more to go with you. Thank you, Lord, for your love. Thank you for the way, Lord Jesus, how your love caused you to do such incredible actions. Father, we give you all that we have to give in return. And now, Lord Jesus, I pray for any person in here that you are drawing to yourself through the power of your Holy Spirit. If you're in here right now and you want to have an experience with Jesus Christ, you want to start walking in your faith with Jesus, I want you to repeat these words after me. Scripture says that if we confess in our mouths and believe in our hearts that Jesus Christ is Lord, we will be saved. And I want to pray that prayer with me right now. The words aren't magic, but 
if you pray this, I believe that God will understand perfectly the position of your heart in this moment. So repeat these words after me if this is you in this room and you want to receive Christ as your Savior. Dear Jesus, thank you for your love. Thank you that you died on the cross for me. I confess that Jesus is Lord and I want the relationship that you have for me. Lord, let our journey begin today. Thank you for forgiving me of my sins. And I'm excited for the journey ahead. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Valley Christian Church located in Hopewell Junction, New York. Please visit us online at valleychristianchurch.net for more information. Thank you.